bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Melissa Gilmore. Good to have you today. Good to be here. One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. As we explore um, people's broken lives and we explore uh, the things that brought them to, to their broken place and then uh, where they came to be redeemed and how God has used them. And we believe that many times the bigger the mess, the bigger the message. And, um, and so we're excited today to have uh, Melissa here today with us. One of the theme verses, so there's a couple verses that um, that I that I really enjoy and I think speak loudly uh, to the podcast, and one of them is Philippians 1.12, and it says, Brethren, the things which have, which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And then there's another one, and it's Psalms 51.17. And Psalm 51.17 basically says, uh, A broken heart God won't despise. And so uh, God meets us in our broken place. And so I'm gonna, I want to share, uh, Melissa is like a, a very dear friend of mine. I uh, love her very much, care about her and her husband, Scott, and her kids. <clears throat> Seen her come a long, long way. And I think that your story is going to make a huge impact on somebody listening. So uh, just don't be afraid. Turn it loose and, and share okay. your heart, okay? Yep. So why don't we spend just a few minutes and talk about what life was like <clears throat> growing up for you. Okay, so... Um... I mean, basically, I had a normal childhood. Mom and dad, um, it wasn't a broken home. Um, mom, dad, and brother, we all lived in the same house. And um, there was drugs and alcohol with extended family members. There was alcohol with family. But, um, I mean, I never really knew. I wasn't uh, around the, the drugs. The you, were good, you were a good girl. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would say I was a good girl, yeah. Um, I uh, I didn't go to church, really. We would go every once in a while, like um, go to Sunday school, go occasionally like for um, uh, like Easter, Christmas, that kind of stuff, but we weren't really like regular attenders of church. But Okay. <clears throat> so when... Uh when did your, and we call that CEO Christians, mm -hmm. Christ, yeah, Christmas I, and Easter only. Right, yeah. So um, <clears throat> so looking back at your childhood, so you were you had a, a good, a good stable home. Right. Um, and you feel like that your parents did a good job raising you. Right. You had the, the good kid 
you know, no yeah. one's good. The Bible says there's none good. But right. from a worldly point of view, you you had you you were a good kid and had a good home, and so that destroys the stigma, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, people saying, well, you know, it, it must be the parents' fault. It must be the home, and that wasn't mm-hmm. the case with you. No, it wasn't. Even though you didn't have the gospel exposure, really. Um, but so then we had this this decent uh, home with mom and dad at home and stability. And then what happened? When did you start using drugs and alcohol? Um, we had moved to the Springfield area in the mid nineties. I probably, I was in junior high the first time I touched alcohol and, um, just, and tobacco, you know, my dad was a smoker. And so my friends would be like, you should smoke his cigarette, his cigarette bud. And, um, and then they'd always have beer in the fridge and we'd go and drink their beer, our parents' beer, um, at like family gatherings and stuff. Um, but as far as like, and the tobacco started, um, 15 probably, and then drinking probably 16, um, pot not long after that. And then ecstasy around, um, probably right after high school senior year right after high school and drinking was always there along the way from like 15 on um social gatherings it didn't become a problem until um probably 2013 I was mid late 20s okay and so one of the things that I tell people is they'll say I'm not a drug addict I just drink you know and I believe alcohol is probably the worst drug and I, I believe agree. alcohol kills more people than heroin. Yeah. Uh, and when you look at crashes, people, you know, suicide, um, violence, and mm-hmm. stuff like that, uh, alcohol is very deadly. And mm-hmm. so, so here you are. Um, you're in your early twenties, you said. Um, mid twenties, probably by the time it really got a hold of me. Okay. Yeah. And so you feel like in your mid twenties you were an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Mid to late twenties. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, I don't remember when it was me and you met for the first time. I would say maybe around 2012, somewhere around there. 2013 is when everything kind of imploded. Okay. And, and so, uh, Mike and Juliet mm-hmm. uh, had mentioned you and your husband, ex-husband to me. Yeah. And um, uh, kind of, you, there was an issue, and this this uh, woman was wild, and... and uh, it was pretty crazy and you know this and that we're trying to help her and I got to meet you guys and so I didn't really have a lot of interaction with you but I did meet you and I know Julie had worked with you and stuff but um, Melissa if you don't know this Melissa went through our one year long discipleship program and um, and she has a you know we're going to get to know her here at the podcast but there was a time when uh, Melissa had applied to the program we'll kind of get into that I don't want to get ahead of myself here but I, you were, you were. I thought you were crazy, mm-hmm. and yeah. so I'll just let you know that, as you know already. Yeah. Um, I, I was I like, was. no way, she's coming to this program, <laughs> and so uh, she is. You know, no offense. Um, you know, crazy may not be the word people like to hear, but that's what I thought. And so, um, how long, uh, how long have you been sober today? Since two thousand seventeen. Okay. Yeah. So two thousand twelve. You mm-hmm. consider yourself a full-blown alcoholic, mm-hmm. and uh, the the word addiction, and so if you look up addiction, 
do a quick search, it will say uh, an uncontrollable craving and desire to use. It cannot be cured, but only be managed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At that point, I was, um, I remember frequently driving out of my way. We lived out of, out of town, out of Springfield, and I would drive out of my way, make up excuses to um, go to the grocery store or the gas station, but I wasn't going for cigarettes because I was a smoker then. I was going to get liquor, and so... I would hide cigarettes so that I could say I was out so that I could go get some or I'd hide, um, you know, whatever I was going to get. And um, so I I definitely had an uncontrollable urge to drink at that point. And yeah. it was just strictly drinking then. And so, you you know, you have a, you have a husband, you have uh, two children at the time. Mm-hmm, that's right. And two boys. Yeah. And, uh, and you really just went, it was pedal to the metal. Yep. Yeah, I started, um, I, my ex-husband at the time was going to school and, and he was working and I was working two or three jobs. I was working for Mike's mom, Gracie A, and, um, and she actually had to fire me because I kept coming to work drunk and um, kindly asked me to get my life together before I come back. And, um, you know, but she didn't leave me there. She kept coming. She kept coming back and, um, and Julie gave me a Bible and uh, and they kept coming after me, you know, and kept bringing me to church and ask, calling me, asking me how I was, and, uh, and, but, yeah, I, I had to, they had to let me go for a while. So you're, you're, uh, you're turned over to Satan to destroy your flesh, as it talks mm-hmm. about in, in the, uh, first, first Corinthians, um, you were, you were being tore apart. Yeah. Alcohol, sin, and so it escalated, right? It did, yeah. And then it didn't stop at alcohol. No, no. Um, at one point, because our house was so destroyed, I um, I had moved into a woman's shelter. And um, and when I was there, there was, I mean, I, my eyes were open to a lot of things, prostitution and drugs and and pimps and all kinds of stuff, you know. And uh, that's when drugs kind of came back in a little bit with the people that I was hanging around with. Um, but it was alcohol. Like, I, I was um, getting so incredibly intoxicated that then I, at that point I would do drugs or somebody would talk me into doing drugs. And, um, and I actually got asked to leave that place because I couldn't stop coming in there intoxicated or with black eyes and they felt that I was not utilizing my time there which I wasn't yeah I was just using that as bed warmer you know because it was in town and close to things so and so then you um you end up going to another how many treatment centers have you been to I went to the same one three times okay and I never successfully completed it and so you went and we won't mention the one you went to Mm -hmm. uh I don't like using names because I don't want to give a negative view of anybody, uh, any treatment center, because they have some, they have some, they do a lot of good. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so you, what happens when you go to treatment centers? Not all the time. Let me just, let me clarify that. But what, uh, what, ha- what did you do when you would go to a treatment center? What, what, what would happen? Sleep, get clean, but, uh, I mean, and then just meet a bunch of knuckleheads to okay. go out and party with and every so, single time. There, Ann, I, I went to um, I went to the psych ward. I think I got committed two or three times also, and so that's I would just meet new knuckleheads to go run with. And so the 
the people in there who aren't serious will band together mm-hmm. and they usually quit together yep. and uh and then they go and they they make new contacts and connections and and so you had done that a few times and then mm-hmm. one time in particular uh you uh, were introduced to a man or found a, a guy and uh, that was the last time you went right yeah okay so that's kind of where me and you get to come together and start working together to try to help you change your life is where is was from that last time mm-hmm. so you go to the treatment center help me understand help everybody listening understand now people who know you today would never believe that was you yeah three-time treatment center dropout uh psych getting uh getting committed to the psych psych ward of the hospital because mm-hmm. you were a danger to yourself and others mm-hmm. and um and so here you are uh you what year was this the last time you went to treatment i would say 2013 okay 2013 yeah. wow doesn't seem that long ago but that it yeah. was huh and so you you go to the treatment center and then tell us kind of tell us what happens uh well, I, when I got out, I, uh, I walked to the gas station and called one of the guys that was, I was in there with, and uh, he kindly took me back out to my house, which really should have been condemned because it was so it had no windows because I had busted them all out, and uh, there was no hot water, so I had to boil water to take a bath and stuff. And so I was just staying out in out of town in this house by myself and. But through that, this younger guy that I had met at rehab introduced me to one of his, um, somebody that lived in his apartment complex. And that's um, the guy that I ended up running three states with and uh, really getting into drugs with and really getting abused with. And um, so that was kind of the start is that one person I met introduced me to somebody else. And, you know, then we all ran amok together. Yeah. And so there's some... There's three states, um, a lot of abuse. You mm-hmm. were, you were, uh, there was a lot of physical abuse involved and other abuse, right? Yeah. And so, uh, you're, are you still married at this time or had you been divorced? <clears throat> at this time, well, when I met that guy, just a few months into knowing him, was my, uh, was our divorce hearing. And um, the place that we were staying at his place didn't, it was out of town. So um, I've said before, I, I had burned all my bridges. And so I didn't have a job to get to where I needed to be, the money to pay to get anywhere. I didn't have any friends to take me because I'd burned all those bridges. And I was supposed to be doing paid supervised visits with the kids. And I didn't have a job to pay for that. So I just didn't go to any of it. So they, um, the judge awarded my ex-husband full custody of the boys okay and so you're you're probably a lot of guilt and shame involved in this and mm-hmm. so every time you get sober you think about mm-hmm. you know all that stuff and so here you are uh there's a cycle of you know abuse i'm sorry i'll never do it again we're going to get it right use again abuse i'm sorry i'll never do it again i mean that's generally the case yeah. and so and i'm and i'm not saying that because you told me that and it, I may be wrong about the situation. No, though, that's pretty much how it goes usually. Yeah. Yeah, and so so you're running from uh, your past. You're running from responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're running from people who really expect better out of you. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're running with the people who uh, 
expect you to be a junkie, and it's yeah. okay. That's who you are to them, you know. And so here you are, and you're with this person, and you end up finally at the end of the rope here. And what state were you in? We had moved back to Arizona when I got back to the when I was at the end of the rope. Or we didn't, yeah, we had moved to Texas, then Arizona, and then we were back in Missouri when everything kind of imploded. So you had a, a an issue where there was a, a fight, I guess. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and you ended up. Could you kind of explain what happened? Yeah. Um, so um, we, I think I had worked that day, and we were at home. You know, we were in a, a cycle of drinking all night, uh, and then smoking meth to get up and go to work. And so we were in this vicious cycle, and we'd drink and and smoke, and um, I I was just tired. I was physically tired, and so he there was always porn on the TV, phone, TV, somewhere it was always on, and so I just I refused to watch it that night, and he got mad about it and took a beer bottle and busted me over the head with it, and I'm gushing blood, and uh, and I I'm drunk, you know, but I leave and I go and call the cops, and well the cops wouldn't. Um, they w- he wouldn't let the cops in, so they left. And so I said, nope, he's got to go. I'm done. I'm over this. I can't take this anymore. And so I snuck back in the back door and ran to the bathroom while I'm talking to the police. And um, he, I'm yelling at them because he's trying to bust down the door over my head. While, and he did get it down before they got there, but they got there. He busted it down and was holding a knife to my throat whenever they got to the front door. And did they get? they got in, of course, because you're here today. Yeah. And, yeah, they did. And they arrested him. They did arrest him. Who else did they arrest? Not me that night. They okay. let me go that night. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you were also, you know, uh, on the run, right? I was on the run, yeah. But I gave them um, a not my social. And okay. So, uh, you, had a, you had an alias. Yeah. Probably a good friend of yours somewhere yeah. that didn't know you were using their, well, their information. Well, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure I just combined a couple that I knew. And uh, so they came back the next day and said, well, we knew you weren't a 50-year-old Asian woman. And so, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, they came back. I think they came back a couple of times and I wouldn't answer. And so um, they did end up getting me in. But Thank God. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Thank and, God for the handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah, because absolutely. it's going to get good now. Yeah, we've we've had some some dark uh, memories here, and I thank mm-hmm. you for reliving those. I know it's hard; it's not easy, but people need to hear that because there's a absolutely. lot of people that are listening that are in the middle of a situation, and many of them are know someone who is. It feels like, man, you know, I'm never going to get out of this. This is who I am. I've lost my family. I've lost my kids. You know, I'm I'm in the middle of being in an abusive situation or a dark place in a dark relationship. And, uh, man, I don't think I'll ever get out of that. And here you are, you know, not anyone close to the same person you used to be. No, and I remember um, back to, uh, you know, the the people wanting me to get better, and I remember Grace C.A. coming and picking me up and, and taking me to church. And <clears throat> the, the last time that she did that, before I left town, um, we had planned to go, and she didn't know that I had been up all night drinking and running from the police. And so she took me to church, and they could tell that, you know, I was not completely sober at church. It was actually in the freeway 
Bible fellowship class, they had to pull me aside. Perfect and, place to be not completely sober. <laughs> it was, and they <laughs> pulled me aside, and um, Jessica Merrick tried to lovingly talk some sense into me, and I remember leaving there and being like, man, I just, I don't understand why these people won't let me live my life, and uh, thank God they didn't. Yeah, amen. They loved you enough to get in your business. Yep. You know, a lot of people would say, you know, I don't want to judge her or anything like that, but... right. You know, we need to love people enough to lovingly, one-on-one, say, hey, look. You know, there's that scripture in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. It says, if anyone is overtaken in trespasses and sins, that word overtaken is caught by surprise. Yeah. You know, in a trap. And you are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness. Yeah. Uh, considering yourself, right? And so she did that. Like she approached you, and I know Gracie did, and Julie did, and yep. all those people God was using to get your attention. Praise the Lord for that. And Absolutely. so, so you go to jail. Mm-hmm. Tell I us did. about that. So I spent a week in Lawrence County, and then they expedited me to Greene County. I had um, multiple warrants. I had racked up two DWIs and um, multiple assault charges and um, destruction of property and. Leaving the scene of an accident, all this stuff was um, pending against me. And so I remember, uh, uh, you know, just not wanting to talk to anybody still. Really, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to hear what they had to say, any of them. I had isolated myself for so long that I just really didn't feel like anything that they had to say to me was going to make any sense. Yeah. So, so what happened? Well, while I was in Greene County, I went to every church service while I was there, and in one of them, I gave my life to the Lord. Amen. Yeah. And you had a little radio in there? I did, yeah. That was like an immediate thing that um, that the Lord changed in me was just all of the filthiness around me. And so I used to have a cuss like a sailor, sailor and have a filthy mouth, and um you know, as soon as I could, I bought a jail radio and I was listening to sermons and I was listening to Christian music. And um, I just remember talking to people on the other end after that and being like, it's going to be a, like, I felt like I had more peace than they they did, you know. Yeah. And so how did you end up? So you, you come to Christ, you finally mm-hmm. surrender your life to him yeah. and you sign that blank contract, right? You say mm-hmm. you fill it out, Lord, you know, I'll do whatever you want. And then how did you make that transition from that jail cell into the freeway ministry discipleship program? I um, actually, my uh, landlords at the time were nice enough to, to hold my rental house while I was in jail until I got out so I could pack up. And so while I'm packing up, I'm like, called Gracie to kind of fill her out on a job and see if she, I could get my job back. And um, I'm like, I'm packing up, but I don't know where I'm going. And she was standing next to Mike A and said, you know, I think you'd be a good candidate for the women's house. And so um, I did apply, and you didn't want me in. Yeah, <laughs> didn't. I, I told I said, listen, <laughs> I know for a fact she took a baseball bat to her ex-husband's house and broke all the windows out. Regardless, I mean, I'm sure the situation was, you know, there's lots of stories to that, but it happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh and I said, she is going to get drunk and go crazy and bust the windows out of our woman's house. And we're going to have to lock her up. And so after much prayer and, <laughs> uh, and, and counsel with my wife, we gave you a shot. Yep. 
So what was it like moving into the women's house coming from, you know, that background you came from and with all the stuff pending and all the all the guilt and shame and facing the church again and going back to Sunday school class again and all that? What was that like? Um, honestly, like that first night that I slept in the women's house, I just remember having peace. Like that was the first time that... I had a peaceful nice night's sleep. I wasn't watching over my back and um, actually slept, you know. And so immediately, like, those things, those uh, charges that were all pending, it, the people in the church and the people of Freeway just completely surrounded me and came alongside me. And grandmas and aunts and uncles, you know, came and went to the the, the hearings and the, the court dates with me. And so... Um, I wasn't left out there to do it alone. They came alongside and walked beside me and helped me through all of it. And, you know, I was telling someone the other day, <clears throat> God saves you from something to something. And so he saved me from getting all these charges, those assault charges and all this destructive charges. They didn't stick. Like, they were just, they just went away. Amen. I didn't get charged with any of them. And so that's allowed me to do things that he needs me to do. Did you ever think you would change? No, yeah. No, I never thought I'd quit smoking, much less <laughs> yeah. stop doing the rest of it. You know, yeah. it's a. Uh, and so, how long have you been sober now? Since 2017, January 2017. Then I moved in Freeway House in February of that year. Okay, where did you first serve in the church? In the church? Yeah. So when where, where was your? Because you know, to live in the program, yeah, you have to serve. Mm -hmm. so, so do you remember that? At, at Crossway, I was serving in the kids, serving with the, the toddlers and the uh, preschoolers. And um, I, I was serving in the kitchen is the first place I served at Freeway. Because you like to cook. Yeah, that, that came natural to me. And so uh, you made it to the house leader yeah. in the woman's house. Uh -huh. how, did, how, how did it feel having people in your business? And you know, Not great always. It didn't, but I was thankful for them, you know. Sometimes I got my arms smacked for not <laughs> not yeah. acting right, not saying the right, you know. Amen. But uh, And I'm kind of looking at my notes because there's a couple of things I want to say, but we're going to have an episode with you and your husband together yeah. who was also in the program. Yep. And uh, we know he loves to shop, and <laughs> we're going to talk all about that, right? Okay. Yeah. He, he's a shopper. Uh -huh. And so uh, when did you when did you know, because right now, uh, you know, the person you are today is is totally different. Mm -hmm. And you're in ministry now. You're serving the Lord. Uh, you guys are about to take off on a great adventure yep. and be uh, missionary slash uh, really staff members of a local church. Yeah. So when did you know that God called you into ministry? Um, Man, I don't know. <clears throat> I guess I'd, I've told my husband all along, I'll follow you wherever you go if you think that's where we need to go. Uh, the, uh, the submissive wife. <laughs> the, wow. Uh, I, I kind of went kicking and screaming for a few months there uh, to move over to our, our current church. But, um, you know, God worked on my heart, and he said, nope, you're, you are supposed to do that. So um, I think that one of the things that we've always – told other um, discipleship house people is we just kept doing 
what we were doing until God called us to do something else. And so I don't think there was really a specific time that God said, okay, you're called into ministry. Like I felt like we were really just already in it whenever we were in the house. And so we just kept doing teaching or going to Bible studies or working in the childcare or running transportation or whatever until God called us to something else. So there's somebody watching right now and they feel like, you know, they're ready to give up. What would you Mm -hmm. say to them? Um, there is hope, um, but you can't do it yourself. You know, I tried to do it myself and I couldn't do it. There was nothing that I could do to make myself good enough. Um, but God can do it. He can do a work in you and, um, just obedience, be obedient and do the next right thing and find those people that, um, that have come before you and know what you're supposed to do. Amen. So you made it to the house leader, yeah, and uh, and then you graduated the program. Mm-hmm. Now you have a family. We're, we'll talk. I'd like to talk to the, you about your family. Your, uh, you know, you've had a family, but you have a new family, mm-hmm. and so children and all that. And so we'll get into that. But uh, so you've done. A, God has used you to do a lot. Yeah. He's rose, risen you up, and uh, I'm excited for what's next for you guys. Me too. Uh, very excited to hear what Scott has to say. And so, and his story is powerful as well. And then uh, we'll follow it up with one more episode after that of you guys together. So we're going to ask you both some serious questions and we'll see, we'll see how you guys pair up here. I have a a questionnaire that I'm going to use. So, okay. Well, well, thank you guys for watching. Uh, Thank you, Melissa, for joining us. Um, If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you subscribe to it? Share it on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, One Broken Life at a Time. This is a ministry and a production of Freeway Ministries. Uh, if you want to support the ministry and help us continue to do this, um, you can go online at freeway-ministries.com, and you can support us through that. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Uh, have a great day, and we'll see you back uh, next week.